2: In elections across the U.S., the case could be made that voters are no longer choosing their candidates, so much as candidates are choosing their voters. As the Supreme Court opens a new session, it turns to gerrymandering and a question it's been unwilling to resolve. Does drawing the perfect election district violate the Constitution? It's Monday, October 2nd. Emily Bazelon, you've been tracking a Supreme Court case about how voting districts are drawn in Wisconsin. Tell me about the map room.
1: So this is spring 2011, Mm -hmm. and a longtime Republican legislator named Dale Schultz takes a walk, a short block, from his office in the Madison Capitol, the Wisconsin legislature, to a law firm with deep ties to the Republican Party in Wisconsin called Michael Best and Friedrich.
0: I went up several floors. I don't remember exactly how many floors it was, but I went up several floors and was ushered into a very bright room. The map room.
1: The map room, exactly. So once he's inside, the first thing that happens is he's asked to sign a confidentiality agreement (laughs) because what was happening in the map room was supposed to be a closely held secret among Republican lawmakers and the people who were drawing these maps.
0: So it didn't seem out of the ordinary to me. Uh, In the event of a lawsuit, you wouldn't want information out. I didn't have any problem with it. And you signed it? And I signed it, yes. Yes.
1: So once he signed the confidentiality agreement, the folks in the room who are legislative aides and former aides unveil for him a small sliver of the new maps they are working on for the Wisconsin legislature for the next election in 2012.
0: And there in front of me was a colored map of my district.
1: Mostly rural, lots of farmland, some small towns kind of sprinkled in there.
0: And Dale,
2: what kind of changes to your district did you hope you would find when you looked at this map?
0: You know, I don't have uh, high expectations at this point because I had been making, I guess, a nuisance of myself. At the state capitol in Madison, Wisconsin, the crowds are growing louder tonight with much of this nation watching because
3: Madison is now the epicenter of a fierce debate over how and how much to pay public workers. With already giant at this
1: point, he's been causing some trouble for the Republican caucus. The new governor at that point, Scott Walker, had been behind an effort to really curtail um, the power of public sector unions in Wisconsin. And Schultz was the only Republican who voted against it.
4: Wisconsin State Senator Dale Schultz, he joins us now live from Madison. Good morning to you, sir.
0: Good morning, Gretchen.
4: <laughs> I understand you feel sort of on an island by yourself right now. because I hadn't
0: been a 100 percent team player in these days in politics. Independence is not valued at all.
4: So the Republicans don't want to have anything to do with you. How does it feel to be alone? Well, I, <laughs> well, you know, I you
0: quite frankly, I, I wondered whether they were going to reapportion me into Iowa. I mean, uh, I didn't <laughs> think that that anybody was going to do me a favor at all. So I walked in, looked at the map, realized, after a little hesitation, this was a very winnable district.
2: So even Dale Schultz, who's arguably. The Republican that Republicans like least in Wisconsin is given a more winnable district on this map. Who else is invited into this map room, Emily, after Schultz or before him?
1: Around the same time, almost every Republican lawmaker, so every member of the state assembly and the state senate, but no Democrats.
2: Hmm. Never, not one. How is it that a single party would be able to draw up all these voting districts that are being shown to the lawmakers in the map
1: room? Um, the legislative districts in this country change every 10 years, because every time we have a census, the Constitution calls for reapportionment. And that means that you make sure that you still have a roughly equal number of people in each district. Mm-hmm. In Wisconsin, the legislature draws the lines. And the governor and both state houses were controlled by Republicans in 2011, and so they were the ones controlling the entire map making process.
2: Senator Schultz, were you surprised at all that Democrats were being excluded from this process?
0: Uh, No, I think I knew that Democrats were being excluded from the process. And I I don't, quite frankly, know why that didn't set off a flag for me. Uh, It just didn't. So I left, and my first inkling that something was, you know, radically different this time around is when... Uh, The results came out after the election.
5: First on Fox, Election Day finally arrived. And now that the polls are officially closing, we wait for results.
1: The next election in Wisconsin is November 2012. And this is the year that Barack Obama is running for re-election.
5: Wisconsin will officially go to Barack Obama. We're going to continue to check in. So
1: Democrats actually win the state. Obama wins and Democrats get 53 percent of the votes for the Wisconsin State Assembly. And yet, with mm. only 47 percent of the vote, Republicans take 60 of 99 seats. While Democrats managed to win
5: the top of the ticket in Wisconsin, they'll remain out of the majority in the state house. Republicans will control that house 60 to 39. Leaders are Democrats
0: had actually won is. more vote statewide than Republicans, and yet we had this uh, route in legislative seats for Republicans. And I just kind of like scratched my head. How can that be? That, that can't be right.
2: Emily, let's go back to this map room in Wisconsin. Help me understand. Republicans who, as you said, were in control and are drawing these voting districts. How did they draw these maps in such a way that would have given their candidates these kinds of wins?
1: What was happening in this map room were the most sophisticated new tools that people have for redistricting were being deployed to try to make sure that Republican voters would be spread throughout Wisconsin as efficiently as possible. Hmm. And Democratic voters would have their ability to elect the candidates of their choice limited as much as possible. And these are the twin tools of gerrymandering. The kind of shorthand for them is cracking, spreading voters and packing, concentrating voters. Hmm. So for example, if you have a district that's 90% democratic, then you've used up a lot of those votes in that district and those folks won't be voting out hmm. in surrounding districts where maybe they could tilt the election in a different direction. That's packing. That's packing. And what's cracking? Cracking is when you spread out your supporters efficiently So, that you have like a 52% majority in a district instead of 65%. And part of what was happening in the map room was computer modeling and regression analyses that allowed the map makers to see okay, well, what if it's a wave election? What if Democrats win by a lot more than they have historically? How safe will we be based on all these different Mm -hmm. potential configurations of the map? Or what if it's a way of Republican election? Or what if it's more standard? And so when you have that kind of data available to you and that kind of modeling, you can make a really safe, pretty close prediction about how to distribute your voters to maximum partisan advantage. And when you look back at the map making process in Wisconsin, the maximum number of seats that Republicans hoped their new maps would produce was 59. Hmm. So they were right almost there. They almost predicted exactly what would happen in 2012 with these new maps.
2: And it sounds like it kept happening.
1: Right. It worked in 2012. And importantly, it continued to work in 2014 and 2016. There have now been three elections for state assembly in Wisconsin since these new maps. And in each of them, Republicans have won a significantly disproportionate share of seats based on their vote total.
2: Just thinking about the image that you have evoked here of lawmakers going into a law firm, sign these confidentiality agreements... And getting the districts that they want in order to win, and then a year or so later, that's exactly what happens in an election. I mean, there's no smoke and cigars in the room, but it it feels like some kind of dark fantasy of gerrymandering. Right. All right, breaking news. Just moments ago, the Supreme Court announcing they will take up a major case on political gerrymandering. Joining us live, CNN's Jessica Snyder. So what does... The story of the map room and what happened in 2011 and 2012 in Wisconsin have to do with this case that the Supreme Court is taking up this week, Gill versus Whitford.
1: So the events of the map room and the map that it yielded have led to a challenge to Wisconsin's redistricting process.
4: The justices will decide whether drawing political boundaries in a state that favor one political party over another violates the Constitution.
1: And the plaintiffs, who are Democratic voters in Wisconsin, are making two legal arguments. Mm -hmm. They're saying that their equal protection rights were violated under the Constitution because they were treated differently from Republican voters. And they're also arguing that their First Amendment rights were violated because – The redistricting was done based on their political views and who they associate with. That, in other words, because they're Democrats who were associating together Hmm. and who believe in the Democratic Party, they were treated differently and that that's a violation of their speech and their freedom of association.
2: Given what you've just laid out, what are the stakes— in this Supreme Court case?
1: Oh, the stakes are super high because the Supreme Court has never struck down a redistricting plan based on partisan gerrymandering. Ever. Ever. And so that means, from the point of view of the Constitution, anything goes. The question is whether the Supreme Court is willing at this point to intervene in any way hmm. and create essentially like a new area of law. Uh,
3: the second case I have to announce. Uh, the
1: last time or one of the last times 15, the court looked 80. at this issue was in 2004.
3: Veith versus Jubileer. This case
1: comes and to at that point, four conservatives on the court were willing to say, we don't think federal courts have any business wow. policing, gerrymandering. No, we're not going to referee this. This is what just called, happens at the
2: state
3: level.
1: That's right. This is what's called non-justiciable.
3: We're non-justiciable. That is to say judicial intervention has been refused.
1: If states don't like how their districts are being drawn, they can create a state law that referees them or they can set up nonpartisan or bipartisan commissions and take the districting out of the hands of the legislature. But the Supreme Court, these four justices in 2004 said not our problem.
3: The basic problem is that some degree of political motivation and effect in districting is not unconstitutional. No one contends that a decent amount of political motivation and political effect is unlawful. So it comes down to determining how much political motivation and effect is too much. We find it impossible to craft a standard that is clear enough and enough rooted in constitutional imperatives to render judicial entry into this political field appropriate.
1: What was missing here from the point of view of the conservatives was Justice Kennedy. Kennedy voted with them in the 2004 case, and that meant that the map at issue then, which was a map in Pennsylvania, was upheld.
3: Justice Kennedy has filed an opinion concurring in the judgment, and this forms the fifth vote necessary.
1: But he did not sign on to this idea that no way, no how could there ever be um, a constitutional violation for partisan gerrymandering.
3: Justice Kennedy would, however, limit his disposition to the case before us, recognizing that the outcome might be different in a case where a suitable standard could be found.
2: So it sounds like Justice Kennedy said, bring me the perfect case that helps me see a legal justification to strike down a partisan gerrymandering system. And these Democrats in Wisconsin have said, here you go.
1: That's their idea anyway. And as much as a perfect case, Kennedy is like looking for the perfect math. Or the perfect mathematical concept. What do you mean? Well, so the question is, what's the standard? How do we know when gerrymandering has gone too far? And we've been talking so far in terms of proportional representation, right? The idea that if you win 47 percent of the vote, you should get 47 percent of the seats. But we don't have anything in the Constitution that says that Americans have a right to proportional representation. It's just not how our government works. And the Supreme Court has said that's not the right standard.
3: The Constitution guarantees equal protection of the law to persons, not equal representation in government to equivalently sized groups of which there are. Innumerable, innumerable numbers.
1: And so then the hunt has been on since 2004, more intensively, for a different standard that might satisfy Kennedy. And the standard that most political science have converged around is what's called partisan symmetry.
2: Partisan symmetry. What is so that? So
1: perfect partisan symmetry would be one year, Republicans win 60% of the seats with 50% of the vote. And in another election, Democrats win. 60 percent of the seats with 50 percent of the vote. So in other words, it's not proportional. Either side can have an extra advantage in a given year based on a particular electoral makeup and outcome. But the map should be drawn in such a way that the other side could also get the same kind of extra disproportional benefit. So
2: I guess you would need several years' worth of elections to look back on and say – there's partisan symmetry.
1: Yeah, or you could model and kind of predict what outcomes will be using these same tools we've been talking about. And in general, the people who are in favor of the Supreme Court taking action on gerrymandering, they don't imagine a world in which a map gets struck down if it's not perfectly symmetrical. What they're really thinking of is a way to judge the maps that are very, very asymmetrical. The question is, have the plaintiffs presented a test or maybe multiple tests that the court could use to actually like go in and do the math?
2: This is fascinating because we don't think of the Supreme Court applying the law through equations like this. We think of it as being nuanced, but largely black and white. This action by this person was discriminatory and therefore violates the 14th Amendment Equal Protection Clause, right? But in this case, it's much less clear cut.
1: And will Justice Kennedy buy it? Presumably, he is still the swing vote. Will he think that they have a good enough formula, something that makes sense, and that also the lower courts can apply? Because, you know, once the Supreme Court mm. opens this door, it's the lower courts who are really going to have to referee gerrymandering. And so the Supreme Court is going to want to give them some kind of standard so that lower court judges can play around with different tests and measures and see for themselves how to judge what, um, what extreme gerrymandering is. could be some good news for Republicans. We're going to talk about the state Senate race right now. There are
5: 33
2: states. Senator Schultz, if we go back to this moment as you're watching these election results roll in and you're realizing the impact of all this redistricting, how did you feel in that moment?
0: I think um, there was a, a sense of surprise and discomfort. If you've been in office for a long time, you've been through redistricting, I myself have heard others and have said it myself, all I care is I get a fair map. This is a contest of ideas and we have the better ideas and we'll be just fine. Suddenly I began to realize that this was more about manipulation than it was about ideas. The public was saying, no, we don't like what you've been doing and yet we're winning seats. And so you're drawn to the logical (laughs) conclusion are the voters picking the candidates they want to represent them, or are the candidates picking the voters they want to vote for them?
2: And which is it?
0: I don't think there's any question uh, that we are in an era of, of legislators, including us, we're picking our voters. And as somebody who believes in the guiding principles of our government, that gave me pause the elections were essentially rigged
2: so how do you want the supreme court to to rule in this case because it sounds like you want it to rule against your own party
0: i want the supreme court to do what will be to the disadvantage of a majority in uh, any state uh, where this level of sophistication has been brought to bear that hurts the people. And in Wisconsin, at this time, it would hurt the Republican Party. Uh, I think we need somebody who, we need people, rather, who will see the big picture, who will look after the health of the body politic and will cut out this portion of the process, which has become, in my opinion, diseased. And it is my hope, my fervent hope, that the men and women who make up the highest court of the land are every bit the men and women I think they are, and they will do the right thing.
2: In 2014, Dale Schultz announced that he would not seek re-election, citing an increasingly partisan atmosphere, and left office in 2015, after 32 years in the Wisconsin legislature. He co-chairs an organization that opposes partisan gerrymandering, and sought to bring the Wisconsin case to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is scheduled to hear opening arguments on the case tomorrow. We'll be right back.
5: When times became uncertain, Wompley pivoted their technology platform and committed to help small businesses and self-employed workers get approved for their PPP loan. In just a few months... Wampley has helped one million businesses across America to secure much-needed funding so they can continue to stay open and serve their communities. Wompley helps small businesses thrive. Visit wampley.com to learn more. On Sunday night,
2: a gunman opened fire on an outdoor country music festival in Las Vegas in one of the deadliest mass shootings in U.S. history. More than 50 people were killed and well over 400 people were injured. The shooter has been identified as 64-year-old Steven Paddock, who is believed to have killed himself before police entered his hotel room on the 32nd floor along the Las Vegas Strip, overlooking the concert venue. He was found with more than 10 rifles. Here's what else you need to know today. As emergency workers and troops struggle to restore basic services to Puerto Rico, President Trump is lashing out at the mayor of Puerto Rico's capital city and suggesting that the people of the island have not done enough to help themselves. The episode began on Thursday after the mayor of San Juan, Carmen Yulín Cruz, heard Trump's Secretary of Homeland Security, Elaine Duke, describing conditions in Puerto Rico on CNN.
1: It is really
5: a good news story in terms of our ability to, to reach people and the
4: limited number of deaths that have taken place in such a devastating hurricane.
2: Crews reacted with disbelief.
4: Well, maybe from where she's standing, it's a good news story. When you're drinking from a creek, it's not a good news story. When you don't have food for a baby, it's not a good news story. When you have to pull people down from their buildings, because, you know, that, I'm sorry, but that really, upsets me and frustrates me, you know, get, I I would ask her to come down here and visit the towns and then make a statement like that, which frankly, it is an irresponsible statement. Damn it, this is not a good news story. This is a people are dying story. This is a life or death story.
2: It escalated on Saturday when the president tweeted, quote, such poor leadership by the mayor of San Juan and others in Puerto Rico who are not able to get their workers to help. The president also accused Mayor Cruz of criticizing his administration at the urging of Democrats, a claim Cruz immediately disputed.
3: Did anyone
5: tell you to go out yesterday and to name Donald Trump as you were making your pleas for help?
4: Actually, I was asking for help. I wasn't saying anything uh, nasty about the president. So I will continue to do whatever I have to do, say whatever I have to say, do compliment the people that I need to compliment and call out the people that I need to call out. This isn't about me. This isn't about anyone. This is about lives that are being lost if yeah. things do not get done properly real quickly.
2: On Tuesday... President Trump will visit Puerto Rico himself to survey the damage from the storm and assess the state of the relief effort. That's it for The Daily. I'm Michael Barbaro.
5: See you tomorrow. You're still running your business on QuickBooks? More like quicksand. The bigger your company grows, the faster you sync with outdated software. NetSuite by Oracle is the scalable solution to run all key back office operations, no matter how big your company grows. 93% of surveyed organizations increase visibility and control since making the switch from QuickBooks to NetSuite. Right now, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program. Head to netsuite.com daily. That's special financing at netsuite.com daily. netsuite.com daily.